these psalms against humans, against human adversaries, maybe enemies, that's unjustifiable because what it would be doing is taking these psalms, ripping them out of their context and forcing them into our life. And that is something we do not do with God's word. You're listening to a special message preached at Shoreline Church. For more audio or theological content, or to learn more about Jesus, visit thisisshoreline.com. Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would teach us this morning through what David wrote so many years ago. Lord, we ask that we would trust you, and we're going to see that today. Most of all, Lord, I ask that you would protect me from saying anything that would be in error, that would be not true according to your word, and that your Holy Spirit would be working in my life and in those here, Lord, to encourage us, to comfort us, to move us, Lord, in a direction that would be honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what a privilege it is to open God's word with you this morning. Uh, And can I say before we start how encouraged I was by last Sunday? 
Uh, were you all encouraged by last Sunday? I hope, I hope you were. It was a, really a great Sunday. It was, there was so much joy. It was a good time together, some good food. Uh, and, and thank you to many of you who shared kind and encouraging words to us, um, even in the midst of our ministry transition. Um, we know that it's, it's, it's sad um, in, in one sense, but it's exciting to see what the Lord is doing in our lives to further the church here in the U.S. So thank you for the love that you're, you're continuing to show us. Um, if you weren't able to make it last Sunday, we really strongly encourage you uh, to go back and watch it, to listen to it. It's very important uh, about some things we're excited for, for this year and also just to praise and worship the Lord for what he did last year. So please go back and watch that. Um, but if you have been part of Shoreline for more than a year, then you know that each year we pick a phrase and a passage of scripture to be our theme for the year. And so for this year, the phrase is sustaining grace. And the passage of scripture is Psalm 55. Uh, and so let's begin with that this morning. But as we get ready to dive into God's word, uh, let's be reminded that this is the very word of God that we hold in our hands. Over 2,500 times in the Old Testament alone, it says that God spoke what is written in these pages. Uh, we know that scripture has authority for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We know that scripture is sufficient, meaning that we have everything we need for life and godliness. We have everything we need to know about God and what God requires of us. Uh, we know that scripture is inerrant and infallible, and that means that it is absolutely true and totally trustworthy. And then we know that the word of God is active in our lives today. It's powerful for our lives today. It's living, it's cleansing, it's nourishing and sanctifying. Amen. So let us let God's word guide us this morning. And so as we come to Psalm 55, the first question we want to answer is why? Why did we even pick Psalm 55 for this year? Well, it really comes out of uh, my personal study. Uh, last year I spent... Uh, uh, more time than usual reading through the Psalms uh, and studying them a little bit more deeply. Uh, and every year, Pastor Pilgrim and I, we, we spend some time praying and seeking the Lord for what he would have us focus on and teach from in the year. Uh, and as we were praying through this, the Lord uh, directed me to this Psalm, uh, partly because of the familiar command to cast our burden on the Lord uh, it's something that we need to be reminded of as we start 2021. But also, because of all the difficulties that David was facing, uh, that David was encountering, are things that we see happening in our world today. Uh, in this psalm, we see a couple things. We see oppression from wicked people. We see struggles with fear. We see violence and strife in the city. Even things like fraud are mentioned in this psalm. We see David having problems in his personal life, uh, his, his personal relationships with his son, um, even, even betrayal. But through all of this, we see how he responds and where he puts his trust. And so we're going to dive into this. But first, let's take uh, just a moment to take a wider look at the book of Psalms to help us understand uh, just for a little bit, the flow and purpose of the book, and then we'll zoom in specifically on Psalm 55. 
Uh, and when we look at the book of Psalms as a whole, um, you've probably heard uh, many folks have said that um, Psalms is the hymnal of the Bible. Um, but we need to know that this is not just a random collection of songs by a bunch of different authors. Uh, like every book in the Bible, there is an order, there's a progression, and there's clear intent with how the book is laid out. Uh, it's a bit harder to see it in the Psalms compared, say, to the Gospels that clearly show a narrative of Jesus' life. It's very easy to understand, very easy to see that, but it's still there. Um, all evidence points to the fact that David composed many of the Psalms in the year one, around the year 1000 B.C., 1000 B.C., but there are several psalms that were written as much as 500 years later. Uh, and we know that because they speak of Israel's exile and restoration. Um, psalm 126 and Psalm 137 speak specifically of those. Uh, we also know that there was uh, an editor or maybe a couple editors uh, that organized the psalm into five smaller books. And this is how it's laid out. Uh, book one is Psalms 1 through 41. Book two, Psalms 42 through 72, and so on until it finishes up uh, with book five at Psalm 150. Uh, and we do not know for sure who the editor was, but some believe that it could have been Ezra. Uh, he was known to be well-versed, and this is what it says in Ezra chapter 7, uh, in manners concerning the commands and decrees of the Lord for Israel. It also says that he had devoted himself, Ezra devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Um, and so there, are, there is some evidence that points to maybe Ezra was involved in pulling these psalms together. And the timing of his life is also lends to that because he uh, was alive uh, during the exile uh, and when the final collection of the Psalms came together, that was during his life. So it could be Ezra. We're not sure. Uh, there's a man named O. Palmer Robinson. I want to recommend a book to you. He wrote an amazing book called The Flow of the Psalms, and it very clearly lays out the themes of the Psalms, the progression, how it's all broken up. It was a big help to me as I was studying uh, these last couple weeks on this. Um, but he shows the progression of the five books in this way. He says, book one is confrontation. So although the Lord reigns, we see sin daily confronting our world. Book two is communication. The psalmist communicate to the surrounding nations. Uh, book three is devastation. God's people are devastated by international forces. Book four is maturation a mature perspective on the promises of the Davidic covenant. And then book five, we see the consummation, everything coming together, the climactic praises of the consummation of God's kingdom. So that's one way, one way to look at it. You could take a picture of the screen if you'd like. I know it's a lot to write down. Um, but that is, that is one way to look at the flow of the Psalms. As we zoom into book, uh, to Psalm 55, we see that it falls into book number two. Uh, and book number two starts with uh, a collection of psalms by the sons of Korah. Uh, they were Levite musicians at the time. Then there's one single psalm from Asaph. He was uh, a song leader at the time. And then next we have a collection of psalms from David, and that's where ours falls into. And then finally, there's a single psalm from King Solomon that ends uh, book two. And one last thing to note, and you know this, that there's different 
types of psalms, right? We have psalms of individual or corporate lament uh, and psalms of thanksgiving. We love those psalms of thanksgiving, don't we? Uh, There are enthronement psalms which describe God's rule. There's pilgrimage psalms which help uh, give us uh, an attitude of worship by reading them. There's royal psalms. There's wisdom psalms. And then finally, there's imprecatory psalms that ask God to destroy and judge his enemies. And so Psalm 55 falls into two of these categories. Uh, It's both an individual lament from King David, but it's also an imprecatory uh, psalm as well, and we'll look at that. But to understand what David uh, was going through and what he wrote this psalm, it's very important to just summarize, to be reminded of the events of 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 17. This is what was going on. Uh, Most commentators believe that David wrote this psalm during uh, the beginning of his son Absalom's rebellion. Uh, And so just to summarize, so the Bible says in those chapters, you can go back and read through it uh, later today or this week. I encourage you to do that. But the Bible says that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Jerusalem by his jealous, treasonous ways. uh, To the point where there was many involved uh, in a conspiracy against King David. And when David found out that the men of Jerusalem were uh, with Absalom, he decided to flee Jerusalem in order to escape. Uh, But while they were fleeing, he found out, he learned that his own trusted counselor, Ahithophel, had joined the conspiracy uh, alongside Absalom. And this is what he said. David prays in that moment, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And so even though Ahithophel had turned against him, David still had one counselor on his side. His name was Hushai. And David persuades Hushai to act as another counselor to Absalom. He says, go back, be a counselor for Absalom, but what I want you to do is to confuse his plans, bring doubt into his plans, and then I also want you to be a spy for me. And so that's exactly what he does. Uh, And that is what happens. The Lord allows that to happen. Absalom listens to the advice of Hushai, not Ahithophel. And this is what it says. The Bible says, For the Lord had purpose to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. And Hushai also sent a warning to David about Absalom's plans. And this allowed David to escape and Ahithophel's plan to be thwarted. And when Ahithophel realized that his counsel to Absalom uh, was not being followed, he went back to his homeland and he committed suicide. He hung himself, uh, probably because he knew that Absalom was going to be defeated and that his disloyalty and treason against David was, he was going to be called to account for that. Uh, And then Absalom was defeated. He was slaughtered, actually. It It wasn't much of a fight uh, and you know the well-known story of Absalom getting uh, caught in a tree, probably because of his long hair. And then the commander, Joab, and some of his men caught up to him, and they uh, executed him while he was hanging from the tree. Uh, but in spite of Absalom's rebellion, David, like any father, would be no matter, no matter what our children do in life, we still love them. David was no different. He went into a period of deep grief and mourning for his son, And this is what he said. He said, if only I had died in your place, O Absalom, my son, my son. Horrible. But these horrible events bring us to Psalm 55, 
and so I've split up the psalm into three sections. So we're going to see three things if you're taking notes. We're going to see first the call for help. And then we're going to see the call for righteous judgment. And then finally, we're going to see the call to trust. The call to trust. So let's just look at the first eight verses again together. Call for help. David says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. So in the first three verses, we see David crying out to the Lord, asking him to hear his prayer. Uh, And we see David starting other psalms like this. It, It was somewhat of a common intro. Lord, please listen to me. Lord, please listen to me. And what comforts us is knowing uh, that the Lord himself invites us to call on him. And when we do, he will be listening. He does. And we see this in many of the Psalms, but we also see this all throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well. And specifically in the New Testament, Philippians, you know this verse, we're told to let our requests be made known to God. In Matthew, Jesus invites us to what? To seek and to knock, to seek and to knock. In Romans, it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In 1 John, it says that we can have confidence that he hears us when we ask of him. And the list goes on. We see here, though, that this call that David was making was not a lighthearted call. It wasn't a call that said, oh, Lord, I love you. I'm so glad you listened to me. No, not at all. This was a call that was a restless moaning call, a groan of anguish and distress. It was a heavy, tortured call. And he gives us the reason in verse 3. He says, I'm doing this because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. And then he describes what they've done. He said, they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. Now remember, this trouble that had come upon David because of Absalom was a direct result of David's sin of adultery and murder earlier. This is what the prophet Nathan had foretold would happen in David's life. Uh, John MacArthur, in his, uh, the study Bible that, that he was involved with, in this section, he says that the verb uh, here to drop trouble upon me, it pictures something that's being tipped over, uh, crashing down on the victim. Uh, It could be a reference to soldiers that were way up high and they're fleeing rocks and large boulders down at the enemy. And in fact, this is actually what happened to David as he was fleeing Jerusalem. In 2 Samuel, uh, you can just listen here, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 16, This is what it says in verse 5. It says, When King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shemai, the son of Gera. And and as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand, on his left. And it goes goes here and it says some... She might, some of the curses that he said, cursing him for what had happened with Saul. And then he says, see, 
your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. And then down at verse 13, it says, So David and his men went on the road, while Shemai went along the hillside opposite him, and cursed as he went, and threw stones at him, and flung dust. And so when David's saying they drop trouble upon me, uh, it could be metaphorical, but it actually happened. So I think it's, it's both there. He literally had stones being dropped on him as he was fleeing. But verses 4 and 5 give us a little bit further insight into David's emotional state. He says that my heart is in anguish. He was scared for his life. He had great fear and trembling. And he even uses the word horror. Uh, and today, when we hear the word horror, most often we probably just think of a movie genre. But this word means an intense fear, a crippling fear, much stronger than just the word fear. That horror, it's very intense. It's much stronger than just being afraid. Uh, he fears for his life, David does. He, and he fears it so strongly that he wants to get out. He wants to escape. And then verses 6 through 8 give us uh, three examples of how he would like to do that. First, in verse 6, he says that he longs to be like a bird, like a dove, and fly away and escape. Then secondly, he compares himself to just a lone wanderer, somebody totally by himself in the wilderness that's just trying to find uh, a cabin, uh, a lodge, somewhere to find some shelter. And then third, he compares his situation to being in a strong storm, in finding shelter in the midst of it. And we understand where he's at a little bit, don't we? We understand the urge to flee. We feel that. The urge to flee in our human nature is a strong, uh, is a strong sense. It's a strong drive at times in our lives. And in fact, I think we often want to flee too easily at times. We often want, just want to get away from what we think will be a difficult conversation. Um, but most of us have not had to flee from our lives. Maybe some of us have, but it's rare in this culture and where we live. Uh, David's situation was obviously more intense, but we understand this urge because we felt it. And this reminds us that all the situ although the situations are different, uh, the human heart has not changed. Our human heart has not changed. Our responses are very similar. But the urge to flee, we also see this at other points in the Bible. David's not alone in wanting to flee. Elijah, in 1 Kings 9, he fled from his ministry, and he hid, from, he hid in a cave to get away. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 9, he longed to find, it says, to, to find a quiet house where he could get away from the wicked people around him. But he didn't do it. He held fast, and he stayed with the, the people as a faithful shepherd. In David's situation, though, the Lord granted his prayer. He allowed him to flee, and he fled Jerusalem, and he camped uh, in the wilderness alongside the Jordan River. And so first, in these verses, we see a call for help. Lord, please listen to me. But now we see a call for righteous judgment, righteous judgment. Verses 9 through 15. Verse 9 says, Destroy. O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil 
is in their dwelling place and in their heart. And so here we see the psalm uh, transition partly into an imprecatory psalm. Uh, in verse 9, David clearly asks the Lord to destroy their plans and to divide their tongues. What sounds familiar about dividing tongues? Tower of Babel, right. It could be an allusion to that, something David was remembering. Uh, but verse 15 is even more serious. David praying for their death, to go to hell alive. So we need to know this morning, though, what is an imprecatory psalm? We understand some of the other psalms, but when the word imprecatory comes up, I know it, it's often there's question marks there. Uh, well, it comes from the word imprecation, uh, which means to pronounce a curse that invokes misfortune upon someone. Uh, so an imprecatory psalm is when the author imprecates. That is, that he calls down calamity, he calls down destruction, and God's anger and judgment on his enemies. Uh, and this type of psalm is actually uh, all throughout the book of Psalms. There are many of them. Uh, and just to give you a couple examples, here's three other ones. Uh, psalm 5, verse 10 says this, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Psalm 17 says, Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. And then Psalm 79 says, Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name, for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. So when studying the imprecatory psalms, it's important to note that these psalms were not written out of vindictiveness or a need for personal vengeance. Uh, instead, there are prayers to keep God's justice, his sovereignty, and his protection in mind. We know that God's people, the Israelites, had suffered so much at the hands of so many. Names like the Hittites, the Amorites, the Philistines, and the Babylonians. We all know that. In fact, the subject of Psalm 137 is the Babylonians. And these groups were not only enemies of Israel, but they were enemies of God himself. They were pagan, ruthless conquerors, and they tried their hardest. They tried as hard as they could, uh, but they failed to destroy God's chosen people. Uh, and in writing the imprecatory psalms, the, the, psal the authors sought vindication for God just as much as they were speaking about some of their own situations. And so a question that pops up now and again is, okay, how do we apply this today? Um, should we pray these type of prayers against maybe some of our neighbors who annoy us, uh, against ungodly politicians, uh, or others? Um, but it's important to say that... Uh, we should only use we should only use imprecatory prayers from the Psalms against our spiritual enemies. In fact, we're called to do that in Ephesians chapter six. When we're, we're called to put on the full armor of God that you may stand against the devil. You may stand against evil in wicked places. We're called to do that. But praying uh, these Psalms against humans, against human adversaries, maybe enemies, that's unjustifiable because what it would be doing is taking these psalms, ripping them out of their context, and forcing them into our life, and that is something we do not do with God's word. Uh, in the New Testament, of course, we have a new way that's given to us, don't we, by Jesus. Uh, Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, but does he tell us to pray for their death or for bad things to happen to them? 
He doesn't. That's not what he meant. Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies uh, for their salvation, first and foremost, to love our enemies, and then for God's will to be done. God's will to be done. There's no greater blessing than a personal relationship with Jesus. And so that's what Jesus means by praying for uh, and blessing those who curse us. You could, we can be vehemently against our new president and some of the policies that he is already uh, desiring to sign by executive order. But we are not called to pray for his death or for his harm. We pray for his salvation. We pray for his repentance. We pray for him to truly, in the midst of all his religiosity, to truly understand what the Lord has done. The Lord would open his eyes. That's what we pray for. So David prays, though, for the Lord to intervene in this situation. And it was a horrible turn of events that that caused violence and strife. As the people of Israel, they chose sides. Some chose David. Many went with Absalom. There was iniquity. There's trouble. There's fraud and oppression. And then then it goes even very personal. Verses 12 through 14 show us the agony of betrayal that David went through. He said, man, if it was some other enemy, if it was anybody else, I could bear it. But you... My friend, my companion, my trusted advisor, how could you? How could you? And again, we, we understand this. We have, we have all probably felt the sting of betrayal by someone that we love, someone that was close in our lives. And we know how much worse it is when, when it's somebody close to us rather than just, just anybody else. How, how much it hurts. And verse 20 and 21, we just skip over there briefly, it it gives us some more details. And it speaks of how Ahithophel was able to deceive David. Verse 20 says, My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenants. He broke his agreement. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. And we see many times, we're warned many times in God's word to be careful about flattering lips, flattering tongues. We see it several times in the Psalms, but also in the Proverbs. Here's one, Proverbs 5.3. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Some, some familiar language in this verse. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. And it got so bad that David prays for their death to be sent to hell alive. And there was actually precedent for this. God had done this uh, another time. Uh, he'd done it with the enemies of Moses in Numbers 16.30. Uh, it's a slightly similar uh, um, situation. The sons of Korah had risen up in rebellion against Moses, similar to how Absalom had risen up in rebellion against David. Uh, and the Lord opened the ground and just swallowed them up. Um, and as it is with Moses, though, and, and more than sinning against David or Moses, they were rebelling against the Lord. There was a higher law. They were rebelling against him. And we know this because David says, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. That's where it stemmed from. And neither David or Moses took personal vengeance against these men. We know in other parts, David had an opportunity to take vengeance on Saul, but he did not. Instead, they prayed for the Lord to intervene, and the Lord did. The Lord did. So, David's call for help is followed by a call for righteous judgment. And then finally, we see a call to trust. A call to trust in verses 16 through 19. It says this, But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. 
Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. And then jump down to verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord. And he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. So in the middle of multiple terrible events that are not only very personal to David, but have also affected the nation of Israel, in the midst of all of that, he calls to God. And with no doubt, with no doubt that the Lord redeems, that he hears, that he acts righteously. And verse 17 tells us how frequently David was was calling out to the Lord. It says morning, noon, and night, basically all day, all day. And then the second half of the verse is very similar to verse 2. It says all day he's, he's restless in prayer. He's moaning because of his great grief. But then in verse 18, we see this word that gives us so much joy, the word redeem that we've sung about this morning. It says that he redeemed David's soul in safety, a meaning that the Lord was going to save David from physical death and ultimate despair. Uh, David had a sure hope that the Lord would act. And then verse 19 says that how the Lord was going to do that, it says that he will humble them, humble them. And so he's going to do that. He's going to remove the pride from these men. Uh, the pride that they have in themselves. And he's going to do it in a very ultimate way. He's going to humble them in an ultimate way, and that's by taking, taking their lives. But notice why God is going to do this. Why is he going to do that? Uh, David points not to his own situation, but not to his own feelings of betrayal, but he points to their relationship with God. Because he says in verse 19, they do not change and they do not fear God. They will not change. They will not fear God. This is the source of their pride and rebellion. Uh, God acts justly. He acts righteously uh, out of his holy character and out of his hatred for sin. And the verse 22 is a familiar verse for us. It's our theme for this year. And it's repeated in the New Testament. You know it. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxieties on him for he cares for you. It says, the Lord will sustain us. The Lord will not allow the righteous to be moved. And the interesting thing here also is how the pronouns have changed. Uh, up until this point, David has mostly been writing in the first person. He's saying, my heart is in anguish. I would hurry to find a shelter. Uh, he did address his betrayer briefly in verse 13. But here in verse 22, he addresses the reader of the psalm. He says, cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you And according to Warren Wiersbe's commentary, the word uh, burden here, and some of your versions might say the word care, um, but the word burden, burden means this, that which he has given you. That's what the word means, burden, that which he has given you. And so it reminds us that even the burdens of life come from a loving heart and hand of God, the loving heart and hand of God. And there's also two other verses that highlight this. Um, In Psalm 33, this is what it says. It says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. But then the reverse, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. 
And then, of course, we all know Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, and all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purposes. So the second half of that verse 22, uh, he will never permit the righteous to be moved. That shows us that God is in control. He is in control. It says he, he will never permit the righteous to be moved. And in contrast, let's look briefly just at another psalm. Turn, it'll be a couple pages back. Uh, turn or swipe over to Psalm 10. I want you to see this. This was really interesting to me as I was studying this. Psalm 10. We see some similar language in Psalm 10, but there's a big difference here. The difference is that Psalm 10 is written from the wicked person's perspective. The wicked person's perspective. So in verse 2, this is, it's describing the wicked person. Verse 2, Psalm 10. It says, In arrogance the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the, desi- the, the, the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways are prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. And then verse 6, look look at the words here. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. And it goes on to continue to describe that. But do you see the difference here? Do you see the wicked in his pride boast of his supposed accomplishments that nothing can get in his way? But David says, no, 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 no. The Lord will save. The Lord redeems. God will listen. God will act. He will not permit the righteous to be moved. It's not something we do. It's not something we do out of our own strength and our own pride. I will not be moved. No, it is God who does that. And it's such a big difference. Well, David closes Psalm, uh, the psalm in verse 23 by speaking to the Lord once again. So he had asked earlier for the Lord to act in righteous judgment, but now he anticipates in faith that uh, the Lord will act, that he will cast them down. And the interesting phrase here is uh, the third, one, two, three, the fourth line where it says that they shall not live out half their days. Because you know that's exactly what happens. When anyone commits suicide, uh, it's often done way before their time to go. Um, Here in our culture, um, according to statistics from 2018, it said that suicide was the second leading cause of death in ages 15 to 34, not live out half their days. And I wonder if David had anticipated Ahithophel's suicide. Uh, and, of course, we know Absalom had that freak accident um, that we read it and we're like, man, that is a crazy situation. But we know that it wasn't a freak accident. That was something that the Lord ordained. Um, he did get his hair caught in the tree, then he was executed. But that, this phrase, not living out half their days, describes Absalom as well. Uh, because it's only in a cursed world uh, where children will die before their parents. Um, but in spite of what was to come in that situation with David, he ends the psalm on an encouraging note saying, I will trust in you. 
Uh, and this continues a pattern that we often see in the Psalms, and, and especially in the Psalms surrounding Psalm 55. Psalms 54 through 60 all um, speak about specific enemies in David and in Israel's life, but they all end in a triumphant note. I'm just going to read the last verse of each one to show you this. Psalm 54, the end says, For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Psalm 55, but I will trust in you. Psalm 56, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Psalm 57, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 58, mankind will, sure, will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Psalm 59, O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. And then Psalm 60. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. Ending on these triumphant notes of encouragement. So in closing this morning, we need to consider the application for our lives. And it's probably easy to pick out, isn't it? Oh, yes, of course. We need to give our burdens to the Lord, and we need to trust him. And this is true. It is. But I want to leave this morning focused on the Lord and his work, and not ours. Not ours. Um, through the Holy Spirit working in our lives, he does give us the desire and the strength to trust him. But the application this morning is three notes about God and his character. Yes, we trust God. We trust him to act. And so look at these with me. Uh, number one, we need to trust that God hears and that he saves. Verses 16 through 19, it's, David says, The Lord will save. He hears my voice. He redeems my soul. God will give ear. He hears and he saves. Number two, we need to trust that God sustains. We don't sustain. God sustains. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And then number three, we need to trust that God is just. We do. We live in a world that is not just. We live in a world where they've taken the word justice and they've polluted it and changed the meaning of what true justice, true biblical justice is. We need to be reminded of that this morning. And although we live in a world that is not just, we also live in a world that does not hear, honestly. It does not hear and understand our deepest moanings. It doesn't. Uh, amidst the multitude of counselors, psychiatrists, psychologists, self-help gurus, none of that normally, unless it's coming from a base of God's word, none of that gets to our deepest moaning, our deepest groaning, the deepest need we have in our sin and needing salvation. We live in a world that cannot sustain us, although it offers that it can. It offers everything through money, through, um, uh, through uh, toys that we want, um, through things that we can gain, through positions that we can attain to. It says that that will sustain us, but it will not. But God is the one that does all of this perfectly. He understands our deepest moanings. He, true justice, is found in his character, and he promises to sustain us. But finally this morning, I want to encourage us to look to Christ. We need to look to Christ. Um, there's many similarities here between David and Jesus, because we know that, that Jesus also had a betrayer, didn't he? One of his own disciples, Judas, who also went and committed suicide. He hung himself. 
Jesus also crossed the Kidron Valley. And that's something we didn't point out, but it's in 2 Samuel in that passage. Jesus also crossed the Kidron Valley as David did in 2 Samuel. Uh, Jesus and David both agonized in the same place on the Mount of Olives. David in grief over his betrayer and Jesus in preparation for taking the sins of the world on himself. David was rejected by some of his people, um, and Jesus was rejected not only by the Jews that lived in his time, but by all of us today. Every person that is born is born in that same rejection. And there's many similarities between David and Jesus, and it's not coincidental, but many have said before uh, that Jesus is the better David. Uh, David, by God's help, he was able to defeat the rebellion of Ahithophel and Absalom. But Jesus, he conquered by the work of the cross, of being truly God and truly man, of being that perfect substitute. He conquered the rebellious sin nature that is in all of us, that is in all of our hearts. But he did not destroy us, did he? He came to save us. He came to save us. And not just to forgive our sin, but to conquer death itself and to be raised again on the third day. And this amazing grace and forgiveness is offered to anyone who would repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone. And when we do that, we're forgiven of every sin, past, present, and future. And God himself, in the third person of the Trinity, comes to live inside of us to confirm our salvation and to give us the weapons that we need to live in this cursed world. And we're also, even more, we're also given the promise that Jesus one day will return. He will come back and he will conquer his enemies once and for all. He will restore this world back to its perfect state and we will be given perfect bodies to be used to rule and reign with him forever. And this is all for God's glory, his glory alone. So this morning... If you are here, if you cannot, I, I ask you to search your heart this morning. If you cannot in your heart this morning say that you have admitted of your sin, that you've asked for forgiveness, that you've trusted in Christ alone to save you, we would plead with you this morning to do it today, and we would love to speak with you after the service. Now, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and he offers salvation to you this morning. So, friends, may we... Take this psalm with us during 2021, and may we trust that the Lord, in his sustaining grace, will never allow us to be moved. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we love your word this morning. We love your word that gives us true hope. Lord, we love that by your Holy Spirit, by the work that you promised to do in us, that we find that you sustain us, you only sustain us. We find and rest and trust in your judgment this morning that although we live in a world that is not just and we see many, many evils, many wicked men and women that seem to be getting away with horrible things, we know that one day justice will be served, whether it's in this life or in the next. Lord, we ask that you would help us to cast our burdens upon you. You are there for us. Lord, help us, convict us. We repent of any pride that we may have this morning, Lord, where we hold on to these things. Maybe we're trying to do it in our own strength to say that we have conquered it and so we can boast to others. But Lord, we repent of that. We ask for forgiveness for that this morning. Please help us to truly trust you, to give you our burdens and trust that you will act. 
Lord, we thank you for the example that we have of David, even the horrible situation that it was. We thank you for inspiring him to write this psalm, which still teaches us and is still very important for us today. Lord, we give you alone the glory. We worship you alone. We thank you for the gift of grace, the gift of redeeming grace that has come in Jesus, Lord. And it's his name we pray. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Shoreline Church meets every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. at the Port on Lena Road. You can get more content and more information by visiting thisisshoreline.com. If you have any questions or any prayer needs, please don't hesitate to email us at info at God bless you.